Hello and welcome to Radio 43. This is a new weekly podcast series from Hope Not Hate. Each week on this show, we'll be releasing a rapid anti-fascist intelligence report coming straight from us to you in 15 minutes or less. This is a podcast designed for anti-fascists and journalists and really anyone interested in the day-to-day activities of the far right. This podcast takes its name from the 43 Group, an inspiring set of post-war anti-fascists who fought off the threat of the far right and whose memory lives large in the collective consciousness of those combating the far right today. My name's Roxana Khan-Williams. My name's Nick Spooner. And each week, either myself or Roxy will be sitting down with Joe Mulhall, Hope Not Hate's senior researcher, to pick out some key moments and developments from the previous week. Welcome to Radio 43. Hello, this is episode 8 of Radio 43, another anti-fascist bulletin from Hope Not Hate. We put these out every week, so if this is your first time tuning in, then do make sure you subscribe. My name's Nick, I'm joined by Joe Mulhall, and also Roxy. Uh, you've been away for a bit, Roxy, haven't you? And spending some time in a tent, by the looks of things. Uh, did you have I, a lovely time? I had a lovely time. I uh, obviously missed you guys a lot, but uh, yeah, it was good to be in a field, out in nature. It was all, all very nice and wholesome, so yeah, it's good. Oh, very nice, very jealous. Oh, about- well, you know, you know me. You sort weren't... Of, you yeah. weren't- you weren't out there hiking with Nazis, were you? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. To be, dis- to be discussed. Um, <laughs> what about you, Joe? Do you have a nice weekend? I did, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, other than the football. Yeah, yeah, well, let's not talk about that. Well, I guess we're actually about to talk about uh, Yeah, we, we will are. talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than, other than that, it was fine. It was Cool, cool, cool. Well, I mean, just as just as uh, you know, as Joe says, there we're going to be talking about the football a bit later on. Um, also on the show this week, we're going to be talking about uh, patriotic alternative, um, hiking in the hills, uh, and some real worries for them. As well, a uh, a neo-Nazi group's just been banned in uh, in the in the UK by the government. Um, it's not the one that we expected it to be. Um, so we'll talk about that in a bit as well, as well as a Tory MP uh, making a bit of a fool of themselves after the European uh, final. So um, we're going to talk about all of that stuff. Let's dive straight in. Patriotic Alternative. Um, there's been a bit of trouble in their ranks by the looks of things. Two of their regional organisers seem to have left the group. One of them, James Goddard, famous for hiding in a bush in Liverpool. Um, this is probably quite serious for Patriotic Alternative, isn't it, Joe? Um it's also not the first time some of their regional organisers have publicly left the group. So what what does this kind of suggest for them? Well, I mean, yeah, it's definitely not good news. <laughs> but um, it's uh, there's, look, there's a lot of infighting, right? And, and there's a lot, of, and a lot of stuff still up in the air. So um, I don't want to talk in too many definitives because, you know, there's a few things that, you know, we still need to need to work out. But the broad story is there's yet more infighting. There's been a couple of these bouts recently. And then there's a guy called Chris Mitchell, who's the East of England regional organiser. And he was the founder of the really popular patriotic talk stream, which you might have heard of. And um, he essentially uh, kind of, he's been forced out of the movement by the former national action activist, Chris Kearns, who goes by the ridiculous name, Charlie Big Potatoes. So there's been this kind of infighting. So the kind of regionally organiser of the East of England, he seems to have gone off the official line was that Mitchell was expelled for harassing his ex-fiancee after they broke up. But it seems to be alleging that the group initially tried to force him out by claiming that he was 
some sort of MI5 investigation uh, and only brought up this behavior towards his ex-girlfriend or ex-fiance, sorry, after that plot initially kind of failed. But whatever the ins and outs of it are, he seems to have gone. Funny enough, in the same week, though, that PA then announced that Kearns would lead a program to support, well, they said he'd do this program to support physical and mental health to their members. But he then bombards a number of the chats with memes mocking Mitchell's mental health and, and suicide attempts, etc. So I'm not sure how quite how seriously he's taking his new role. So there's that little thing going on there. Then there's James Goddard, which you mentioned as well, formerly Yellow Vests and uh he appears to have walked away as well now uh, again a bit up in the air what's happened here it looked like a couple of weeks ago that he seemed to walk away saying that he's having a child and that he wants to step back a little bit though some people have kind of claimed that he's angry about what's been happening away but whatever the case it seems that he seems to have uh, kind of moved along uh, although hasn't kind of confirmed it himself as yet and then just today, it looks like Red Flare, the anti-fascist group, have appeared to have doxed PA's southwest of England regional leader. So it's been a bad week. It's all been it's a bit up bad to worse. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, I was flicking through the um, uh, second shout out for the anti-fascist research collective on this podcast, but I was flicking through some of the Telegram chats and the WhatsApp uh, messages that they put on Twitter. And I don't know if you, I don't know if this was a sense you got as well, Joe, but it looks like people are pretty fed up with Mark Collett. I mean, there seemed to be a feeling that he just spends all his time streaming in his bedroom, not enough time kind of doing stuff. Um, was that the kind of sense that you got as well? Yeah, there is. There's a lot of anger towards him internally. I think I think there's a lot of frustration as well. Actually, like PA in some ways has grown quickly. You know, it's quite organised. It's got all its structures in place, but. I think there's a lot of people internally that felt there's been a few missed opportunities and those tensions are growing. You know, if you think about the kind of Lives Matter kind of reaction to the Black Lives Matter moment last year, I think there's some people internally that think he failed to pull the trigger on that. They didn't kind of get in the people's faces. You know, a lot of their activism has been kind of behind the scenes. It's been marches. It's been building capacity internally. But for those people that really want to kind of get stuck in, I think they're increasingly getting frustrated at him. And these internal splits is there's lots of infighting and especially i think some of you've got to remember that there's a lot of old old guys in there from the old bmp days right and uh they hated call it then and they hate him now but but pa is the only show in town right it's the it's the if you're kind of in those circles for lots of people it's the only place to really do activism so yeah i think his leadership's wobbling a little bit we'll have to see how far it's wobbling i mean i don't think it's kind of crisis time for him but it's definitely the case that there's a lot of internal problems that we need, that, that he's going to have to be looking at at the moment. And like you say, some of the kind of bigger name activists seem to be pretty fed up. Um, so yeah, one to keep an eye on. You mentioned the camp uh, on the weekend. Do you want to just talk about that quickly? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this is uh, the paradox, right? I mean, it's been a terrible couple of weeks for them with lots of splits and stuff, but actually the camp didn't go too badly. So for Patriotic Alternative, they met uh, kind of all of their regional groups travelled to the Peak District at the last weekend. Um they're claiming 150 people. I think it was a, a slight exaggeration on the numbers I've seen. It, it looked but, um, like between 60 and 70 for me. I had the pictures that I saw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at a push, you could put the number at 100, but certainly not 150. But uh, we'll have to kind of check the numbers exactly soon. But yeah, I mean, they kind of did the usual, right? They went on some hikes, they went on some walks, they took plenty of photographs. Um, they dropped some new banners that they all seemed very excited about and they uh, kind of cooked some food around some fires. So, but I mean, one thing it's worth saying is, is that PA are very extreme, right? PA is a group that attracts ex-BNP members, active neo-Nazis, really extremists. 
a hundred of them is too many people to be mean. I mean, that is a worrying sign. Uh, uh, so, you know, we should definitely be ridiculing them and laughing them for the splits at the moment, but it's kind of, it's not that this threat has gone away. Even if it's a hundred of them meeting up for a camping trip like that, that's a hundred kind of quite extreme fascists meeting up. So yeah, there's still, there's still a, a threat. I would say there's still a threat that we need to be really worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Good reminder there, Joe. Thanks very much. Um, let's move on to the next story. Um, in the parliamentary order paper from last week, we saw that there was a motion coming down the line this week on the suppression of terrorism. Um, we kind of got the sense then that a prescription was coming. We just didn't know who it was going to be. As many listeners will know, we as an organization, we've been pushing the government hard for a while now to ban the neo-Nazi occultists, the order of nine angles. Um, for well over a year, we've been banging that drum, I think. So, um, you know, we thought perhaps they'd finally pulled their fingers out and done something good for once. Um, we found out on Monday morning, yesterday morning, that the government were about to prescribe not order nine angles, but a terror group called the base. Um, mm -hmm. Joe, tell us about the base. Who's in it? What is it? Why have they banned it? Yeah. I mean, at some point the government's going to ban something that still exists in the UK, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> until then we'll take it um no so no that's a slight exaggeration a bit of a simplification so yeah the government have come out and it looks like they're going to ban uh, the neo-nazi group the base under under the kind of existing terror legislation this is a kind of an american group um we actually first wrote about it or my colleague patrick wrote about it uh, back in april 2019 actually about how it was kind of coming across the uk so it's not like it's a new one the group actually formed back in 2018 they're a kind of us-based terror cell like a lot of those groups around there, they kind of, they're fascist white ethno states, they talk about race war a lot. And, you know, they're, they're not without problem, you know, this is a group that been engaged in training with weapons, explosives, you know, several links to the group have been prosecuted in the US for offences, including conspiracy to murder. So this is certainly a very extreme grouping and, and it's good news that they've been banned. How active, uh, you know, they are in the UK is, is kind of up in the air. I mean, of course, what this will mean is that the terrorism offences could mean that if a membership will be up to 14 years in prison. So uh, that's a bit of a problem. Now, this is, of course, the fifth far-right terror group that the government have banned. Um, the, the others are National Action, Sodden Creek Division, Fuhrer Creek Division. So there is a kind of ever-growing list here. Uh, the question is, why have they not banned Order of Nine Angles? Again, you know, uh, this is a welcome step. Uh, the base are dangerous they've been exposed actually by a panorama kind of some of the key figures were exposed and you know this is no doubt they are an extreme grouping but they weren't a priority in the uk it's not like they had a kind of a foothold here so the big question remains why 09a have still not been banned and do you have a sense of why of why that is um i mean i was chatting with uh, our colleague Laron earlier about this very question and he put some some compelling ideas to me um I mean, he, he said potentially, you know, the Tories are so far behind when they're, they're sort of banning this kind of stuff that that uh, they're, they're banning things that was at its height a few years ago. And they're just slowly getting around to taking to, to sort of getting their grips around things that we've been talking about for a while. Um, do you think that's what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's that's possible? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it, uh... I get a bit nervous about when, when you know, I can, un they're definitely slow. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. The government on this sort of stuff are extremely slow, but I'm not necessarily that the banning organizations shouldn't be quite a slow process. It's an enormous step, you know, banning a political organization is, is, should be done only in the most extreme circumstances. And it should take a while until the evidence has reached the threshold and they're confident. That's 
so they could be moving slightly faster. <laughs> so, it, you know, I definitely don't think that, uh, uh, you know, I don't think that Hope Not Hate are calling for lots of groups to be banned because we're really absolutely not, actually. Um, you know, I, there's a huge difference between opposing these groups and expecting the state to ban them. And there's also questions about how effective state bans can be. We only call for it in the most extreme circumstances. And in the case of something like the Order of Nine Angles, this is a group that is both extreme in its ideology, but like, you know, way more extreme than anyone could almost imagine. It's pro-rape, it's pro-violence, it's pro-murder, it's human sacrifice, all these things. Um, at which point there is, you know, such a dangerous ideology that we've called for it to be banned. But in most cases, we don't. Why the government haven't acted on Order of Nine Angles is, is beyond me. I, I don't want to speak on their behalf. The speed with which they're banning these groups, there does seem to be a trend that the groups are being banned somewhat after their peak, which might indicate that things are a bit slow. But this, you know, that's a question for the government, really. I suppose there's a tactical question as well uh, in terms of how easy with it i mean you can clarify this joe but with 09a you know my sense is that they don't really have the same kind of membership structure as you know something like national action for example so it's probably harder to prescribe an organization of that nature with that kind of looser structure but then i suppose you would say the base maybe mirrors that in a way so maybe that's not a good argument i don't know i'm just hypothesizing here really um but yeah like you say we'll have to (laughs) yeah yeah let's see yeah let's see i mean uh, you know this is what why the government haven't acted is is, is a question that they, they i think i think they're increasingly needing to answer yeah absolutely rocks over to you over to me and over to the football so as joe mentioned uh <clears throat> we didn't see it come home this weekend um although i would like to say i thought it was a cracking game of footy I'm not going to posit that I know much about football, but uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it and I thought they did really well. Um, what we did see in the aftermath, though, was a hell of a lot of racism. Um, and we can delve into that in a hot sec. Uh, but I first wanted to flag an absolutely atrocious WhatsApp that was sent from MP for Dover, Natalie Elphick. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. but um, I think that is right. Yeah, I think you have got that yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So um, in reference to the game on Sunday and um, Marcus Rashford's penalty miss, she writes, they lost. Would it be ungenerous to suggest Rashford should have spent more time perfecting his game and less time playing politics? Um, I mean, there are just a multitude of things that are wrong with these sort of comments. Um, It is worth noting that she has since apologised for the text. Uh, But Joe, I was wondering, what do you you make of this and kind of... What does this what say I, about? Yeah. What do I make of it? I mean, maybe he'd have to spend time playing politics if they spent more time feeding children. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's uh, the, it's just. just I, I think that she was probably trying to be clever or trying to have a joke or whatever it was, but it just mm. showed just the ugly, ugly belly of that sort of politics. Do you know what I mean? Like the Rashford is almost universally loved, right? Because like he's shown leadership on the pitch, off the pitch. You know, his campaign to feed children was insp- it was inspiring, but really depressing right it was really depressing that it even had to exist so maybe yeah maybe he could have had a bit more time practicing penalties if the tories didn't make uh make him have to run a campaign to feed starving children did you two... oh sorry rox no you go nick you go. i'll just go... did you two see uh the tweet she put out after the thing was leaked her message was leaked no so oh she's no, so... 
Well, she tweeted saying, uh, last night I shared the frustration and heartbreak of millions of England fans. Team gave their all. Congratulations and onwards to the World Cup. I mean, that first sentence, which was, let's repeat that. Last night I shared the frustration and heartbreak of millions of England fans. I just thought that was really gross. Like somehow saying yeah. that, oh, she's saying, I'm just saying what others are thinking, you know, and that somehow her views were, were supported or matched by, by millions of people around the country. I just thought it was really horrible. So and gross. also it's absolute nonsense as well. The stats do not support that claim by her at all. The British public's feeling towards the mm. England team, Gareth Southgate. I mean, Gareth Southgate, he recently just polled higher than Churchill in an opinion poll. <laughs> yes, we love to see it. <laughs> so, that, I mean, the stats tell a completely different story. So it mm. seems to be like she's just trying to sort of concoct this wider veil of, of bigotry to hide behind. It was just awful. It's just awful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, actually, there's, there's, there's obviously a wider sad story as well. I mean, we'd been working with The Guardian throughout the tournament to kind of monitor the levels of abuse faced by footballers and, and after stages um we kind of the guardian published the first bit of so of course the levels of abuse being faced by the footballers was unacceptable but it was almost surprisingly low because of the, what we've been used to and of course it was because we were winning mm. and invariably uh, that changed when we lost uh, on on sunday night and kind of initial kind of analysis that we've been doing from that is of course is that there was quite a dramatic rise or a spike in the, the levels of racism online that we saw and we were just looking at stuff directed directly at the footballers so tagging them etc not just general stuff and things like the n-word and the use of monkey and banana emojis uh, kind of which have been recorded just a handful of times in previous games um, exploded at the end of the game on Sunday night you know well over doubled and, and, and it's kind of carried on in some cases so it was really depressing. It was depressingly predictable, but it, but it, um, you know, and uh, see, kind of my colleague Patrick looked into it and found that some of the engaging in this sort of stuff had, if you look back through their timelines, of course, had been engaging in racism against other public figures in, in previous months before. And again, this raises the questions about social media companies and their failure to deal with all this stuff, you know. Mm. Yeah, you um, you segued uh, quite nicely into the next section there, Joe. So thanks for doing that. <laughs> Saving your job. Um, I mean, I I think from a personal level, I I was watching the kind of the camaraderie that was coming out around the the England team, and I, I guess I naively thought that maybe it was a a moment of change, and I thought you know things were kind of really kind of I know the narrative seemed to be to be shifting, and then obviously when we lost it, you know, all kind of that facade crumbled away and I don't know what would you see the kind of the future of kind of I don't know discussions around race in, in sport I, I mean I feel like Southgate and, and the England team have really kind of led this conversation and I don't think we should take away from the kind of the positive steps that have been taken but um yeah Joe no, what do you kind of not I I really, I really agree with you actually actually and um there was obviously, as I say, like a, there was a predictable backlash, you know, for some people, uh, for some racist football fans, you know, support for these, these young black players was conditional when they were winning, that's fine. When they were losing, all of a sudden they weren't English again. And that's really sad. And it was slightly predictable, but none of that takes away from, I think that there was some really positive signs in this tournament, right? You know, like the, mm. the England team taking the knee, the captain wearing a rainbow armband and some of the footballers wearing the Stonewall laces you know, they really led and talked about, they at least projected and talked about a more inclusive, progressive, modern Englishness. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, 
the racism has been awful and, and sad and so so is some of the kind of the behavior in central london and that at wembley as well but that doesn't take away from the fact that i think there was some aggressive steps you know i mean i've seen lots of uh, kind of friends and colleagues they they wanted to support England for the first time properly this was the first time because of the way the England team was behaving and I think we should kind of not let that all be ruined by the fact that yeah there's there's kind of it just shows just how far we've still got to go with the racism but it's you know we still have come some way I think mm, mm. we've also seen some spicy clapbacks mm. um from the likes of Tyrone Ming um who was you know was exposing the kind of grand hypocrisy of Pretty Patel um on the topic and also uh Gary Neville uh, who also yeah. tweeted that racism starts at the very top. I was like, zing, zing, zing. But he's absolutely, he's absolutely correct. I mean, it's been yeah. continuously incubated by the Conservatives when in government, you know, for years. I mean, whether it's yeah. Johnson's history of Islamophobic comments, his anti-black racism in the past, his, you know, Michael Fabricant, we've, we've featured him on the show yeah. before. Uh, Desmond Swain saying blackface is a totally acceptable bit of fun. And, you know, we've covered the Islamophobia in the party repeatedly. Um, I mean, that's all on one hand. And on the other hand, you've got the, you've got the Windrush scandal, you've got the hostile environment, you've got outrageous policy proposals coming out of the Home Office all the time, like sticking asylum seekers on an island somewhere. Gary Neville is absolutely right. The Conservative Party has repeatedly set the tone by its divisive style of leadership and its racism. And he's absolutely right to say it's come, it comes right from the top. Um, and, you know, people sending pelters to Boris Johnson and Priti Patel you know you're absolutely right as well um they have found well, flames I, I, for this type of behavior but by but you know before the tournament even began by saying fans were right to boo the, the players so you yeah. know sorry joe yeah I, I, no i think i think they just massively mis miscalculated it right i think they never thought that the footballers would actually call them out that tyron means calling out pretty patel was wonderful i don't think they ever expected that to happen you know what i mean uh, she was actually i mean we all remember the comments at the beginning when she said it was gesture politics and then all of a sudden yeah up and down and saying what well, you know this is the reason they we wrote an article yesterday actually on, it's on the website saying this is why they took the knee right and and this is why those footballers decided to make that decision and now all of a sudden these Tory politicians are jumping up and down and saying what a disaster you know how terrible racism is when previously they were saying it was fine for people to boo them for doing it so yeah. I think uh, again this team showed amazing leadership on that can I um can I just share one positive note to end on um yeah did you both? Did you, either of you see the the opinion poll uh, related to England players uh, England players taking the knee? Have you seen this? No. Um, I think it came out yesterday. Potentially, um, they basically took a poll. They got the poll from the start of the tournament and the poll at the end. Um, at the start of the tournament, already a majority of people supported the players taking the knee. Fifty percent said they supported it. Thirty seven percent opposed it. Um, that's gone up. So at the end of the tournament, those numbers are 56% of people in favor of it and 32% of people um, against it. So that's that's um, that's gone down as well. So there seems to be this kind of growing consensus that, that players demonstrating their support for the fight against racism is a good thing. Um, I, I think this is a really positive takeaway and it just kind of shows how uh, these, these bigots, these trolls, they're in a shrinking minority. Um, and like, just to echo what both of you have already said, I, I, I think it's fantastic that this team's been prepared to take a stand on on issues, to demonstrate their values, um, and also to spend their their free time, their spare time away from playing football, making the country a better place. So we should be applauding that, not denigrating it. And uh, I think this poll is is really encouraging news that 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 more people um, back that as well. So that's just a positive note to end on. I thought. Yeah, and it, you know the World Cups in a year, so we go we go again. 
exactly. it comes home <laughs> exactly <laughs> right well unless anyone's got anything else they want to say um no. should we call it there yep that's good oh. for me grand well check back next week for another update thanks everybody for listening roxy and joe you're both absolutely fantastic so keep being awesome uh, I look forward to seeing oh, you. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, same time next week. See you later. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Radio 43. Make sure you're subscribed and check back next week for another intelligence briefing. If you've got any questions for Joe, Nick, or myself, or you'd just like to drop us a line, please send an email to our producer at jake at hopenothate.org.uk. And if you like what we do and you want to support our work, please head to our website, www.hopenothate.org.uk and join our Hope Action Fund for less than one hour's wage a month. With your support, we will continue to shine a light on and disrupt the activities of the far right. Cheers.